Welcome to episode 13 of Creative Writing. while you laugh. All right, are you back with us? Yes, baby. Creative Writing was at the AMA Monster Energy Pro Supercross down in San Diego. How about them $7 hot dogs and those $13 beers? You know, you can buy a six-pack for less than that. So we were supporting the local economy. Living it up, baby. Living it up. All right, let's get on with the show here. Yeah, so first off, before I get any further into the show, uh, Supercross was awesome. I have two little kids. It was intense. My four-year-old caveman of a son didn't like any of the racing. He couldn't wait for the f- fireworks and the fire to keep going off. When they were introducing the uh, 450 main class, they, it was just like WWE, you know? Or WWF or Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling for all you old school people that remember the 80s. It was it was just nuts. It was such a production, and he loved that part of it. He loved the the smoke and the fire and the explosions and the guys screaming the names. And yeah, it was it was pretty awesome. Once the racing started, he was just like, uh, when did the fire and explosions start happening again? So that was pretty cool. What was not cool was driving down. I did not ride down because I had my dog with me, and so uh, I had to keep her somewhere. And uh, I usually let her drive if it's a short trip, but I drove since I was going all the way to San Diego. And I'll tell you, it's a good thing because uh, I don't know what it is with the 15. Actually, let's back it up a little bit. If you're on the 91, especially the 91 East, it gets crazy going down towards San Diego. And coming back up, is also crazy on the 15. There's just that after you get out of San Diego County proper and you get up to like the Temecula, Murrieta area, uh, which by the way, shout out to one of our listeners, Paul Smith. And Paul Smith, man, I know you listen to our show and I keep getting, unless you're listening like 25 times a week, uh, there's, there's a bunch of other people in Murrieta that are listening. Can you round them up and find out who they are? Give them a handshake and high five for me. And anybody that lives up in that area that knows what it's like to travel on the 15, where you have to either do, uh, you're traveling usually between like 10 miles an hour and then 100, and then it'll go drop down to 10, and then it'll go 100. And had I ridden, I don't think I would have been comfortable splitting lanes because people were just like swerving back and forth uh, between lanes trying to figure out which one was going to go the fastest and whatnot. And there was a fella on what looked like an FLHRC, which is a Road King classic or whatever. And he was not splitting lanes because that thing is fat. And uh, he couldn't fit between some of the some of the cars there. So, yeah, even for bigger motorcyclists, it looked like it was a, a tough to navigate, and it was a little bit like winding your way through a flea market in New Delhi, India. So, yeah. Anyway, so big shout out to Paul. He was the first guy to respond to our ideas uh, 
you know, we're looking for some show ideas of what you guys want to hear. And he was uh, the very first person to respond. We got some great responses, by the way. We're going to be covering a lot of this stuff uh, in upcoming episodes. And to get into this episode, we're going to be talking about handwriting, hand signals, and handkerchiefs. And uh, the idea of hand signals was uh, sent to us by Aussie Chris, who I mentioned a few times on the show. He also has some really good ideas, and uh, I like chatting with him online. He's he's a funny guy. So, yeah. Uh, and you may be asking yourself, what do these three things have to do with motorcycling? And uh, quite a bit. So before we jump into these three topics, aside from giving a shout-out to Paul and talking about how great the Supercross was, uh, I want to say on a sad note, um, last weekend was a busy weekend in San Diego for motorcycle crashes. Uh, at our work, we personally lost a coworker, and I didn't know the guy, and I work in like a totally different department. I, don't, I mean, he works down in San Diego, and I work up in L.A., so I didn't even know him, but it's always sad to lose a rider, uh, and it's always sad when, when it's uh, you know somebody that's within your organization. So our heart goes out to that department and the family and friends of this individual, of course, and we always hate to see something like that happen. So uh, here's a little breakdown of the three accidents that happened over the weekend down in San Diego. Uh, The first accident was a single vehicle accident. He was uh, riding a stretch of road. He was turning a corner, headed east, and I, apparently he laid his bike down and slid into a westbound lane, so oncoming traffic. And a person swerved to miss his bike and hit him. And there's a median in the road, so I'm assuming it happened in the intersection and not over the median. So it kind of sounds like it was maybe rider error or something in the road. You know, who knows what it was. The, the news was very vague. Uh, but yeah, very, very sad. Uh, also... Uh, another death, I, th- I believe the same night or the next night happened in the East County when a uh, S- small SUV turned in front of a guy, turned left in front of him. Uh, and that was kind of over by some of my family's house. So yeah, I mean, that was just kind of, kind of weird. A street that you've driven on many times to think of, you know, Hey, somebody right here where this is, you know, this intersection and it's kind of crazy. And well, somebody uh, had a fatal crash there. So our hearts go out to uh, the family of that person as well. And then in another crash, an older gentleman was somebody turned left in front of him going into a parking lot. And it looks like he's going to lose his foot and uh, his left foot. So, I mean, you know, watch out for people turning left. You know, going back to the shout out to, to Paul for the idea that he had was for the hurt report and i i'm getting some uh, material together for that for our, our next episode and one of the things in there is you know some of the majority of accidents on motorcycles involve left turns and a, a big chunk are single uh you know single vehicle incidents which means you fall down for whatever reason so all three of these tragedies that happened uh last weekend in san diego was one of those circumstances you know they they fell into that category two of them were a vehicle turning left in front of the rider one of them was a single rider incident and um i mean it started out as a single rider incident i guess the the uh being struck by a vehicle is what actually caused the fatality but 
um, the actual accident was just a single person. So yeah, I'm really interested to get into the meat and potatoes of uh, next week's episode. We're going to cover, it's a little bit more technical stuff that's kind of like, you know, maybe overlooked or forgot about. It's some stuff I even forgot about. So really excited to do that. All right. Well, let's uh, talk about that when we get to it next next week or next time. And let's jump into this week's episode. So handwriting. Handwriting, or cursive to be exact, has been dropping off curriculum faster than Hollywood dropped Charlie Sheen. And a lot of adults, especially office and uh, tech-oriented professionals, can't remember the last time they hand-wrote anything, especially in cursive. Um, How does this relate to motorcycles, you might ask? Well, let's dive a little deeper. In the 1800s, more public education began to emerge and more people were taught to read and write. And in the mid-1800s, however, cursive was introduced and popularized. I won't go into the details and the history of all that, but I just uh, heard about it and read about it, and it's pretty interesting. Well, this is like the mid-1800s, and just about that time in France, the 1860s to be exact, the first steam-powered motorcycles were being prototyped and built. So as we're going through like Civil War over here, over there, velocipedes, as they were called, began to sprout up. And then in America, about... Um, 1868 and 1869, uh, we see some patents coming over for them, and they continued to evolve as the century went on. Well, the same thing kind of happened to handwriting. Style and technique were perfected as the 1800s merged into the 1900s, and we get the Industrial Revolution. Quills gave way to ink pens as uh, manufacturing became more available. So, too, did uh, petrol-powered motorcycles begin to find their way into the ethos during the 1880s on forward. The first petrol-powered motorcycle to be called a motorrad, uh, which was German for motorcycle, was the 1894 Hildebrand and Wolfmuller. And American and English makers soon followed, and the evolution of motorcycles basically began right after that. I'll get into why I picked handwriting and motorcycles in a little bit, but let's move on to another point. It's funny how handwriting with the stylus thousands of years ago, um, we have uh, cuneiform and, and papyrus or papyrus or whatever. Uh, they wrote on these little tiny, tiny squares of, of um, clay and very tiny. I like the size of a postage stamp and it was only taught like in Egypt and places like that. You, you learn this stuff if you were a scholar, Greece, Egypt, you know, all of uh, that sort of cradle of civilization there. Only certain people were allowed to learn it. Uh, a lot of times you had to be religious t- to learn it. Um, I kind of am a, not a Roman history buff, but I like that period. And I learned a lot about uh, Roman history uh, last year. And um, it seems like same sort of thing there. Only certain people were allowed to go so far as as education and and not everybody knew how to read or write. That's why people were were easily controlled and whatnot. So it's funny that that writing went from that to nowadays, like preschoolers learn it. My kids both learned to start writing around the age of three, I believe. And the tools for writing like the stylus, which was basically just a stick for carving on those pieces of clay thousands of years ago, cuneiform or whatever, evolved into the quill. 
and then the quill gave way to the ink pen that you you know used to dip in the ink well. That gave way to the pencil. A pencil gave way to the uh, you know ink pens that we have nowadays, the clicker ink pens. And that gave way again, going back to the stylus, but this time for a smart screen, and eventually ending up with the keyboard. And uh, I know keyboard is not writing, but I'm just saying, you know, that's the evolution of how we get letters from our brain onto a surface is is that. And, and it's kind of happened the same way with motorcycles. I mean, you think of motorcycles as handwriting became popularized in the 1800s with more more schools, um, more people attending school in the 1800s. All of a sudden, here comes motorcycles in the 1800s, right around the same time as riding is becoming popularized and cursive uh, specifically is becoming uh, really popular. Like riding, motorcycling has has uh, gone through its evolutions from first steam power, now to petrol-powered, carburation to fuel injection, and finally nowadays to electric. And so they've both kind of seen the same sort as technology and generational awareness and efficiency, you know, desires for efficiency went on. And obviously you can't go very far on a boiler full of steam. Right now you can't go very far on a battery full of electricity. And those things changed to different um, types, you know, of engines. And so maybe the electric engine isn't where we're going to end, but maybe it's like a stepping stone to the next thing. So it's just interesting to see how the two kind of became popularized and prototyped right around the same time on a, you know, of course, writing in cursive has been around for longer than that, but it really became popular when when people were setting up schools um, and deciding that everybody needed to learn. Just like when people decided that, hey, we don't want to ride the wagon anymore. There's these automobiles coming out. We, we already have bicycles. Let's merge the two. So it, it's pretty interesting uh, to see this, this evolution of things. And so just out of curiosity to me, like since these two things have grown up together, basically, it's so weird to think of that. But uh, riding and motorcycling, have they seen their salad days come and go? And right now, we know that uh, there's common core curriculum that's going on and the standards are replacing the old ways of teaching. And I have to say, people are like up in arms about it because it's not how we learned. There are several educators in my family and uh I see, you know, I hear the stories of how kids just get it nowadays. And when they're telling me some of these things, I get it. And I think, man, I wish we had this when I was a kid. Um, They still advocate writing. All right. They don't want you to never write again, but they do integrate a lot of technology because that's what's out here. And that's, you know, kids back in the day that used to use a quill and a, you know, calf skin or something to write on. Well, they moved to paper and ink pens. So, you know, why don't kids move on to styluses and keyboards, right? It makes sense. So, but they don't mention cursive. And I think that's what people think of when they think of handwriting is cursive and and penmanship and beautiful writing. So cursive is a dated technology and a way of expressing letters. And if it was really important why doesn't, you know, email most literature, like almost every literature, or the web use a cursive font? And for motorcycles, why do we still need carbureted bikes, racers, or anything without the most exclusive electronics packages nowadays? I mean, we don't need that stuff, right? 
And it just all kind of harkens back to the days of races on Sunday, sales on Monday. And for writing, you know, it just harkens back to the days of this is for thousands of years. This is how we've got something onto the in front of someone else's eyes as we've used a stick with something in it to write it down onto something that they can see. So sort of similar. Now, um, there are some scholars who are endeared to handwriting in cursive and they don't want to see it go. I, I just read an article where someone had said, well, you know, kids won't even be able to read the, um, I don't know, the Declaration of Independence or anything like that or the Constitution because it was written in cursive. Well, I've looked at it and it's hard enough when somebody writes in cursive in general, it's not super standardized except for like maybe the general shape. So depending on how well people write in cursive, it's hard enough to read that stuff anyway. So wasn't it nicer to see it in print? So I don't know. That's just, just my opinion. But uh, you know what? It's it's the idea that you shouldn't not learn cursive. So a lot of a lot of people are moving cursive to the art department alongside calligraphy, which is, you know, calligraphy. Why don't, why doesn't everybody learn calligraphy? It's a style of writing. So it's just not necessary when you have print. So it makes perfect sense to me to move cursive into the art department since it is a more of artistic and stylized form of writing and using that, uh, same sort of thinking. It just makes sense for motorcycles to continue to be rudimentary on some degree for learners and practitioners of the fine mechanical arts because what is cursive before printing? It's nothing, you know, it's just a bunch of curvy lines. It's a pretty way to make letters. So for me, getting all these new technologies into bikes, uh, people learning that straight out of the bat don't ever get the basics, you know, as a rider or a mechanic. So there's actually studies that have been done on handwriting that show that people who take notes by hand consistently scored higher on tests than people who took notes uh, by typing on a keyboard. And, uh, you know, they, they, they demonstrated several different studies and several different, um, I don't know, they, they wanted to prove that it wasn't just, you know, a fluke. And so they, they did several different uh, ways of testing that. And it always came out that the people that wrote notes by hand took uh, better notes possibly, or just remembered better because they were uh, having to write it down and think about what they were doing and think about, I don't know, making a connection between what they were doing mentally versus what they're remembering. I, I, you know, I don't know exactly what the mechanism there is, but needless to say, they, they still scored better uh, than people who typed notes. So there seems to be some sort of cognitive link between the hand and the brain when it's forced to write or create by hand. And I think those same studies or the researchers also said that people tended to be more creative. Maybe it was just anecdotal that they were more creative and they felt freer to deviate from a set format when they could use handwriting compared to typing. Um, a lot of people said they would type up stuff, even if they were like manuscript uh, editors and stuff, they would, they would prefer to get something in uh, typed up and of course it's faster to uh, if you want to like change a mistake or something like that of course you just hit the erase uh, button which is called the, the delete key on my keyboard it says erase right here and then there's a key that says white out so I don't know I just I use those but I also use the delete one a lot these editors and people that deal with like uh, written or printed out plans like architects and stuff still like to be able to manipulate stuff by hand in the margins or, you know, in the text. It just, it feels more comfortable. It feels freer. Uh, even if you end up 
having to get a scratch piece of paper and writing like a little paragraph on the side there to augment or like erase what's there in the text. A lot of people just like it better um, because you don't have to have a computer in front of you to be editing these texts and you don't have to, you know, especially architects or something, you don't have to have a tablet or something right in front of you if you're looking at paper just to scribble down on it and, and have it still be permanent. So I can see how writing is still important, you know, compared to typing. And I also believe, this is just me, that when you learn to write your letters, it's easier for your brain to learn the shape, sort of like a mental muscular memory, rather than if you were typing, trying to remember, hey, what shape was that letter that my middle finger clicks down on the second row, you know, third one in, you just kind of like, you know, you don't even have to look at a keyboard if you're a good typist. So, you're kind of just remembering what those letters look like in your brain from years of writing them down. So if you're someone that's learning letters, I think it's very important to write. So writing and motorcycling, similar, my thoughts on them is very similar. You you still need those skills. You still need the basic things. You still need uh, motorcycles to be somewhat rudimentary on on a level. Um, I think using that same logic for handwriting, it would make sense for beginning writers to first learn on like non-fuel injected, non-ABS, non-traction equipped bikes in order to learn what they're capable of and what they're not capable of by human interaction with the bike. You know, you got to learn to trust the tires. You got to learn the right amount of brake to squeeze. You know, you should, you should learn all that stuff and you should learn what your right wrist is capable of doing, you know, it can do some pretty bad stuff or it could save you, you know, in certain situations. So, uh, you know, I think learning that stuff on a very rudimentary bike gets you the basics, just like writing, learning to write a letter at a young age does. Then when you get older and you're like learning to type and you, you've already remembered what that letter looks like. So you just need to really remember its position on your keyboard. And then if you don't have your keyboard in front of you, hell, you can still write you know, you're still able to communicate in the same text, just inputting it differently. And I think that's the same thing as far as motorcycling. You can you can take those rudimentary skills and refine it and get a new skill set and become, you know, the outcome will be that you are more effective and more efficient because you have those skills down pat and now you just have electronics augmenting them for you. I mean, you even probably become an even better writer and you wouldn't rely on stuff so much as use it to augment your style. So, pardon me, as the doom and gloom set that kind of loves cursive writing leeches their concern into the public psyche as far as you know, this is going to be the end of humanity because we don't write anymore. Uh, the doom and gloom set for the motorcycling crowd is also kind of doing the same thing and calling for an end to motorcycling by this same generation of current uh, Common Core learners that's growing up right now that we're seeing move away from handwriting. The mm, I know a lot of opinions about the motorcycle industry in general is that these same people will not be buying motorcycles. Harley riders are aging now. You know, we got to reach out for a new crowd, all this stuff. Uh, I'm not going to dive too deep into that right now, but is the next generation really going to stop using inefficient means of communicating, expressing language, traveling, eating, you know, wiping their butts, etc.? Some would have you think so, and many fear that upcoming generations of humans, like 
future, like not only the kids that are growing up now, but you know, their kids are just going to move more and more away toward public transportation. They're going to focus more on reducing carbon footprints as global warming becomes more of a reality or more of a conscious, even whether it's real or not, you decide, but I mean, it's the public conscious that's going to make up their mind about that. And, uh, people do want to make less greenhouse gases because they know those are real. So as all this stuff, you know, these future generations focus on making life more efficient and more environmentally conscious, are people going to move toward like public electric transportation or whatever, right? And they're going to be living life in more cyber-based, connected, electric world. We've seen it already with cars. Ten, My car is 10 years old. And it's pretty much like a dinosaur from the 1950s compared to some of the, you know, the cars that are being manufactured right now for 2017. So 10 years, you know, and so this new generation really is going to be, you know, more efficient already just because that's how things are being made now. You can't buy something that's too inefficient. And already we have text speak, which makes typing more efficient. You know, a lot of times, see you later would just be the letter C, the letter U, and then the letter L with eight and R next. I mean, you know, five characters gets, you know, rid of how many, you know, two handfuls of letters. So, um, also I've heard someone saying that pretty soon the phone will go the way of the quill as more people uh, integrate like wearable and heads up technology into their daily lives. And they're, I forget the exact uh, quote from this person, but they were saying, you know, like once the thing that was like the greatest thing ever since, you know, since sliced bread, which is this phone will be seen as about as valuable as a wallet sized rock that used to carry in your pocket, like a cumbersome item. And, you know, you got little Bluetooth things now that have been out for how many years. And so basically, it's just getting the keyboard and the screen into your clothing somewhere. I mean, we already got the headset part taken care of for years now. So there's lots of wearable clothing out there that's been developed for a while. It just hasn't been marketed. So maybe, maybe they're right. And there's a lot more heads up technology coming into the helmet space and into, you know, Google Glass and all this shit like that. So maybe it is possible that we won't have a phone anymore. We'll have like a keypad on our watch or something and bleep, 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 or even on our sleeve, like wear like a gauntlet or something that has like a predator style control, you know. So you already, I mean, you already can check your home security system from your cell phone. So if you just had that like on a big gauntlet next to like your typing keypad and your phone inputs or your Bluetooth helmet inputs, if you're, you know, riding on a motorcycle for whatever it is, they're saying the phone is going to be the next thing where we look back and go, wow, I can't believe I used to carry this big giant like card thing in my, my pocket. So we're not sure when those days are coming, especially with the way that electronics are changing, the way that people are riding and driving and writing, not writing, but writing as well, because uh, perhaps when that day does come. I mean, people already are riding and driving differently than they were even five years ago. Uh, look at racing. We basically have a brag fest of who's um, 
system, whose electronic system, basically robotic bike is driving, helping them drive faster. You know, like the days of the rider inputting all the controls for motorcycles are gone, even in racing where you would think it was, um, they use racing as a platform for development. And that's why a lot of this stuff isn't about competition. I mean, sure. It's about who wins and loses, but I mean, these electronic packages make it into racing and become a big, huge part of racing. And as you can see, like the past couple of years with all the forms from MotoGP to world Superbike down to British Superbike and even AMA, like from a global level down to the, um, the national level, it is a big deal about electronics and people don't even want to do these transcontinental races against each other anymore, even as a friendly match because the electronics could be a little different. You know what I mean? So it's, it's uh, already changed us as a society and uh, you can't drive anything anymore without having your GPS, you know, like I, I, have given up on trying to remember directions to a place. I just, I rely on the GPS. So heaven forbid the power go out or like a satellite fall from the sky. I will just be lost in my own city, which is sad. So anyway, should this day come, uh, the former employees of pencil companies and motorcycle companies can stand side by side in the unemployment lines and talk about the good old days, probably like the plowmen and the quill makers did generations before them. Because if it's true that writing is going away, handwriting is going away or becoming less important. Um, and I'm, I'm telling you, people aren't going to stop doing it. That's just, it's a fear. Just like I don't think people are really going to stop riding motorcycles because even if it's only for competition purposes, uh, it's still, you know, it's still going to be, there's going to be some people that hold out. when If everybody stops riding uh, for whatever silly reason, um, there's still going to be some people that still practice it. I'm sure there's still people that do lithographs nowadays or like really old photo processes that are, you know, considered obsolete. There's going to be people that ride for whatever reason. They'll, they'll keep their vintage bikes or they'll keep their bikes that, um, they can work on. That's what I'm saying. You need this rudimentary base because you still need to know how to work on this stuff. Uh, you can't, when electronics take over, you're going to have to be like a computer technician to work on your bike. So I think rudimentary bikes are the way to go. And that's just my, um, opinion, but that's, um, I think motorcycling and, and handwriting for whatever reason, they came up into popularity at the same time. And I know some people think that they're falling down here at the same time. So it's just interesting to think about that. Uh, think about the last few generations that have used both significantly and, you decide is it uh, are we waning is the writing writing and writing on the wall so to speak so just uh, something interesting i thought all right it's time to get into a little bit of news and sadly honey is not here this week um worried about her she's probably still feeling awful so uh i'm gonna do the news for you all right hello and welcome to the news for episode 13 last month's news this month uh in the past (laughs) let's go back a month 
Uh, in conjunction with the official start to the AMA Monster Energy Supercross series, two people were arrested back in mid-January for selling counterfeit helmets. And the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Counterfeit and Piracy Enforcement Team, which isn't the full name of the unit, served a search warrant to a business that was allegedly selling Monster Energy helmets through an online Amazon store. Around 1,000 helmets were seized, which were worth about an estimated $250,000. That's a street value. I don't know what it is if you were to, uh, whatever they do with cocaine, <laughs> get it? I don't know uh, what the wholesale market is on that. So the counterfeit helmets also sported counterfeit DOT stickers, and an independent lab verified they did not meet the FMVSS minimum requirements, which is the uh, Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards. Um, the two suspects were arrested for making and selling counterfeit goods. And if you have uh, any further information about the case, please call the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department Community Partnership Bureau Counterfeit and Piracy Enforcement Team. Call Lieutenant Diedrich at area code 323-219-3959. I wouldn't, I don't know how you would determine if you bought, they didn't say what the name of the company was or anything like that. So if you bought a helmet, um, specifically a Monster Energy helmet last month, you know, December, January, somewhere around there, I don't know if I would worry about it or not. So uh, just make sure the DOT sticker doesn't say made in China at the bottom. Also last month, Polaris announced that it would be cutting jobs despite record sales in 2015. The company slumped with 18% decrease in the net income at the end of the year, which, you know, basically forced the company to lay off some employees at the Rousseau, Minnesota plant as a result. Fewer than 10 people were let go, which is like a stark contrast to the cuts that Harley-Davidson announced in October last year. Harley planned on cutting 250 salaried positions by the end of the year, also due to sliding sales rates. And that can be probably basically chalked up to, uh, it's, it's funny that Polaris had to cut 10 jobs because Polaris is, you know, they own Victory, they own Indian. They're probably the ones that are moving in on Harley. And that's probably why Harley has to lay off 250 people. So uh, they're probably e- we're e- seeing going to see these American uh, manufacturers probably even out here in the market space. But uh, if you go in and read their sales results and the the, uh, the quarterly you know earnings reports and stuff, it's pretty interesting to s- go into those a little bit deeper and see how the cash flow actually uh, kind of relates as far as you know what they're doing with their cash versus like why they're laying people off so especially for harley uh in the future stay tuned to the daytona bike week this year for an individual who calls himself the grizzly he's a swedish guy and he plans on circumnavigating the globe on a victory cross country using daytona as his launch pad he's got several endurance trips under his belt already on a victory cross country but this will be his most ostentatious voyage yet. Uh, Grizzly plans on riding around the world, getting his tires dirty on all six continents in under 100 days. The current record is uh, 120 days. So he will be riding on all conditions and all surfaces on his victory cross country from the freezing winds and ice and Antarctica Antarctica to the hot winds and the sandy roads in all the countries in Africa. 
if you want to uh, see Grizzly's information, and I'm calling it a bear tracker because there's like a you know Grizzly plot, plot tracker here, go to uh, www.grizzly-adventures.ch or search uh, Grizzly Race Team on like the major three social media outlets. You'll find something there uh, for them. Uh, moving to politics. In an executive order under the American Antiquities Act of 1906, President Barack Obama designated three new areas in California's Mojave Desert as national monuments. The move last Friday by the president named Mojave Trails, Santa Snow, and Castle Mountains in the designation effectively cutting off use of existing trails and roads in the areas for off-road enthusiasts. Uh, U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein and Representative Paul Cook both had already pushed bills in Congress to give protected status to the areas while maintaining OHV access to them. So they were kind of looking for a, a you know the best of both worlds there. After her efforts failed, Senator Feinstein, although she encouraged Barack Obama to use the executive order power to name these things as uh, national monuments, she also uh, plans on introducing new laws that will permanently protect five OHV recreational areas with the uh, area of 142,000 acres. And she, who knows if we can pull some of the stuff back in that's been uh, cut out right now, but also Representative Cook uh, still plans on pushing his California Minerals Off-Road Recreation and Conservation Bill. He's planning on pushing that through Congress still. So they're both still going to be moving to, to get some legislation on the books to protect these areas, you know, keep them as conservation sites, but also allow people to responsibly use the trails. And the AMA is going to help support them in their fight to help enthusiasts gain access to public lands. I mean, that's really what it is. The the lands, uh, we pay taxes to have them receive these uh, conservation status, but then we don't even get to to use them. You know, and if you close it for hikers and bikers, I mean, it gets closed for everybody. So it's important. If you're looking at this from one group or the next, don't. We got to come together to keep these things open for all of us. And... In history, this is a direct quote now from the uh, AMA, which is the American Motorcyclist Association website. Uh, Craig Vetter, he was selected for an AMA Dud Perkins Lifetime Achievement Award. Pickering, uh, Newswire, boop, 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 Pickerington, Ohio. The American Motorcyclist Association is pleased to announce that AMA Motorcycle Hall of Fame inductee Craig Vetter is the winner of the prestigious AMA Dud Perkins Lifetime Achievement Award for 2016. The annual award acknowledges the highest level of service to the AMA in any area of activity, and its recipients are individuals whose contributions are nationally recognized. Vetter, well known for his many contributions to motorcycle design, has also distinguished himself for a lifetime of service to the AMA and the American Motorcycle Heritage Foundation. End quote. All right, so... A longtime contributor to the uh, American Motorcycle Heritage Foundation and a participant in tons of AMA events, uh, Craig Vetter was inducted into the Hall of Fame way back in 1999 for his accomplishments as a designer and inventor. Of course, he's famous for the Vetter fairing and aerodynamic body kits. 
since you know everybody can remember and as reported on recycle santa cruz's motorcycles and misfits podcast last year uh they broke the story that vetter had a collision with a deer back in august and he said the dud perkins lifetime achievement award is a huge bright spot in what's really been a slow recovery process since that accident so he's still pulling through he's still uh recovering and uh, hopefully he'll make a, a full recovery and be able to continue on. And even if he cuts back riding, I know he's going to be part of the AMA and in the marketplace. It was apt to wait while the details of this next story were hashed out at the negotiating table. There were a lot of rumors that Cycle Gear was going to buy Revzilla. They announced last week Revzilla and CycleGear have entered a strategic partnership where both companies will remain separate but operated jointly by a board of directors from both organizations. Revzilla is, of course, an online powerhouse made famous by its uh, online reviews and customer service. And CycleGear is a ubiquitous nationwide entity which sends people 85,000 catalogs every month, which will inject equity capital into the joint holding company. And basically, they'll own the internet and brick-and-mortar market space, and we'll be able to watch, decide, and ride if we want. Or maybe we'll be able to, you know, shop out of the competition accessories and J.C. Whitney catalogs, because I really can't think of anything uh, more prevalent than Revzilla and Cycle Gear. I mean, that's like Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant teaming up again for one super slam. So, boy, uh, this was certainly a mouthful, and that's all for this edition of Creative Writing News. Well, it's time to move on to the next segment, which happens to be uh, from a listener named Aussie Chris. Aussie Chris, who is awesome Chris, if you ask me. He, uh... (laughs) We were chatting online about some hand signals, and he mentioned that he likes to throw some signals out there to keep people on their toes sometimes. I think that's a splendid idea, actually. Um, I looked online, and it looks like basically they're the same in England, at least, and in Australia. I didn't look in Europe. You know, I'm sure they all have different stuff. So uh, I would like to know... Uh, all the way from, you know, Belgium to, shoot, the far eastern parts of Russia and Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, all these crazy places, uh, what your hand signals are. If you could uh, go ahead and email me that, that'd be great. All right, so I'm going to dive right in here to the ones from uh, that are familiar to me, which happens to be the ones that they apparently use in England and Australia, too. So if uh, you are familiar, of course, I think even if you uh, drive a car, you have to know the basic turn signals in case your indicators go out. Well, it it just happens to be that for a left turn, you stick your left arm straight out. And for a right turn, you stick your arm up at 90 degrees. And uh, the thing is, is I think that's probably reversed for Australia and for England since you are right-hand drives. Now, on a motorcycle, I think you do the same thing. Uh, you just you use your left hand for both. Left hand for turning left, left hand at a 90-degree crook with your hand facing up for a right turn. And I, I did read somewhere that possibly in Australia, 
you have to use your right hand. So that means you're taking your hand off the throttle to indicate that you're turning right, which I mean, if you're turning right, you probably want to slow down a little bit anyway. So that's probably good. And you want to, you want to grab a, reach out and catch a kookaburra if you can. Stopping is just your hands pointing down at a, with your arm crooked at a 90 degrees. Speed up, you just kind of wave, you put your hand, your, this is all left hand, fellas. Don't take your hand off the throttle. So you put your left hand down and you kind of wave forward. You're waving the guys behind you forward to speed up and slow down. This one's important if you see a pothole or a hazard up ahead or if you, uh, I have been in some traffic and my friends signaled me that the traffic was stopping because the asshole's brake lights didn't work. So my friend's waving me. You're either patting a dog or you're dribbling a basketball. But either way, your friend should get the fact that, hey, that means slow the fuck down. Now, follow me is what you do if you want your friends to follow you uh, down a, a dark hallway at a closed insane asylum or on your motorcycle, ironically. You just wave them, wave them forward. Put your hand behind your head, wave it forward. Kind of like you're hucking a potato at somebody. I've seen this one that says, hey, you lead or come up here. And that's where you point your hand down to the side. You just point your index finger and then you just wave your finger up in front of you. And that's supposed to tell the guy behind you, hey, jackass, you get up here. But also, that's what I use, and that's what most of the people I ride with use to signal a hazard. We usually point with our right, I'm sorry, with our left hand, if it's on the left side. And since you don't want to take your right hand off the throttle because you want to pop a wheelie over whatever you're headed toward, whatever obstacle, you use your uh, right foot to point at it. Or you can use your left foot to point at it. You know, I, I've done both. So uh, if you want people to follow you in a single file line, you hold up one finger on your left hand, preferably the index finger, kind of like, aha, I've got an idea. But that really means follow single file. Uh, there's a skinny road coming up, skinny bridge, or we're going to have to start splitting traffic here. So you, you, we all got to get in the line. Holding up two fingers in England apparently means, uh, hey, twat. But here it means um, double file line or split, go and go staggered in two lines. If you want to uh, do a comfort stop, they call it, which, you know, adjust some luggage, go to the bathroom, whatever, you reach your hand out and make a motion kind of like you're jerking off an invisible rider next to you. So just do your hand, closed fist up and down. You know, we can call it the happy ending if you want. If you need a refreshment, now that's different than a comfort stop. A comfort means I got to take a piss refreshment means I'm dehydrated and I'm going to pass out and fall off my bike because you assholes didn't want to stop for me way back there when you all got your coffee and I was taking a piss. So that you just hold your thumb up to your mouth like a baby sucking his thumb. Basically, it means baby needs a bottle and I'm that baby. Uh, if you want to tell somebody that their signal's on and they're a total jerkwad for riding around indicating that they're going to change a lane when they shouldn't, you just put your hand out and flash it like the little Pac-Man. That could also mean, hey, you're talking too much or uh, get off your cell phone. So what I do is I open my hands really wide like, hey, look at me. I'm counting to five over and over again. Five, 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 five. But it means your flash, <clears throat> pardon me, your flash is on. If you want people to pull off the road, you got to like wave your hand around to get their attention and then point over your head to like uh, the next off ramp uh, or 
you know, whatever pull out, whatever you're trying to get them to go over to. You got you got to do it way ahead too. You can't do the shit and then expect everyone behind you to do simultaneous stoppies and like just roll into there on one wheel, like like twenty bikes on their front wheel rolling into a rest stop. How sweet would that be? So yeah, make sure you get their attention and make sure you're pointing either to the sign, the name of the off ramp that you get, that you want to get off on, or just make sure you're pointing ahead like, hey, I'm going to get off here because uh, I've got a flat tire or whatever. Now, if there's some cops ahead, uh, usually we pat the top of our heads. That means like, you know, pay attention. Uh, some people twirl their finger around like a, like, you know, a, a light, an old school light twirling around inside the housing, you know, like in the seventies, they used to have those big gigantic lights on the top of the cop cars and they twirl it around. But a lot of times that means like start your engines too. So patting your head is, is, you know, you're not going to confuse that one with start the engines or there's a helicopter landing on the freeway or anything like that. I think you, you get that, you know, pretty self-explanatory. Use your brain. And if you need gas, you either uh, pull over to the side of the road. Once you've run out of gas, you don't pull over before you run out of gas. You drift over to the side because you've run out of gas and you start kicking your bike or punching yourself in the stomach. That means I ran out of gas. Or if you're running out of gas and you haven't done it yet, you can point to your gas tank. And that tells your friends that much like the the comfort stop or the refreshment stop, hey, while you jackasses were uh, getting gas and I was taking a shit and you didn't wait for me to get gas, now I need gas and you're all going to pay for it. So that's basically just pointing to your tank is uh, what does that. Let's talk a little bit about waves now. So there's the old, uh, I read somewhere that, some bikers put their left hand on their leg, and if they don't raise it up to you, that's a sign of disrespect. I think it could be a sign of I've had a stroke. I've never seen anybody do this, by the way, So, and I've never heard of that before. So uh, I don't know if that's true or not. I just something I read. The I know the wave. We've all seen the wave. We've all probably done the wave where you hang your hand out to the side. You stick two fingers out. Um, what you're really telling people is, uh, like I said, in England, that doesn't, that's not so nice. So I, I wouldn't do that. I think it means uh, fuck you in England if you stick two fingers out. So I don't know why we do it here in America. We're just saying, what's up, yo? Also, it's like the K. If you know American Sign Language and you can do a K, that maybe you're saying you're okay. I don't know. But anyway, there's also the wave, like the just stick your hand out, like you're kind of... Uh, running it over a wheat field. If you were riding your horse and you stuck it out, you know, through the, what, where, what am I going with this? Just you stick your hand out. Okay. And then there's the, (laughs) the guy that waves. There's what I'm going to call the, Hmm. Where do people not ride motorcycles? I probably in Iowa. People probably don't ride them in Iowa. So you stick your hand up and wave like, hey, I'm the Iowa corn king and, uh, or the corn queen. And you, uh, you wave your hand up like, hey, hey, look at me, look at me. Hey, look over here, look over here. But you're really just so excited to say hi to another motorcyclist because Iowa is so straight and flat, you probably haven't seen one. Or maybe you can see the one guy across the state, but you're so far away, you have to kind of wave huge so you can see each other. Maybe that's why they wave so big in Iowa. So that's the, 
basic gist of that. Uh, another thing I a lot of people do is nod, and I think oh, I want to say that Buell had oh, yeah yeah that's right. I remember some of the Buell marketing material when they were coming out with the Helicon. Uh, they were I think the eleven twenty five CR and the eleven twenty five R whatever the hell they were called actually said right in the uh, marketing stuff something about a wearing a full face helmet. Because if you just wear sunglasses or riding glasses at about 35 miles an hour when the wind starts to come around, if you're riding like a real sport rider should on these Buell motorcycles, the wind is going to go behind there and you're not going to be able to see anything except for your tears and then eventually the pavement as it smashes you in the face. And it also said in there, if you wave at somebody else, you're an asshole because you... On on one of our Buells, if you don't have both hands on the bars, you're not being a responsible Buellista because these bikes are so awesome and have so much power. So uh, part of the reason I think people quit waving is because um, people said they had to. And you got to be badass when you're on a motorcycle. You can't be nice, right? So so don't do it. Don't wave at people, especially if you're on a Buell. Um, and make sure you have a full face helmet on because you are riding sport to the max. All right, so I think that that I've seen a lot of people nod. I nod a lot of times, especially if people are like over a median and they're not going to see your hands sticking out, uh, but you can like do the little wave. But uh, I can't tell you how many times I've been riding my little shit box around and people on sport bikes, it don't matter what. Like people, uh, hell, when I rode to Vegas on that thing, it's people on Harleys and shit throwing you down the little, the little K. You're okay, you know, the two fingers out. Sorry, sorry, England, but that's just how we do it here, especially in Cali. Two fingers out. And uh, maybe they want a cigarette. I never thought of that. Maybe they're just asking to have a cig slammed in there. So maybe that's what that means. So I do know, here's something that I did um, find out on accident, that their BMW riders actually have their own secret code. If you ride uh, a G650 or one of the old Fs when they were still singles, basically any any thumper, you stick your arm out at a 45-degree angle to the road with your index finger pointing toward the ground, kind of like doing that thing where you're pointing at a worm, like, hey, look, there's a worm. I'm passing him at 80 miles an hour. There he is. Look, fast, quickly. So you have your, you know, that means apparently I ride a single, and you can do it when you see other single riders. Like, they just love it. It's like you're doing a, instead of a high five, you're doing a high one. Whoops, you can get, slap each other some skin as you pass. Now, if you're on an F or a parallel twin, you do your arm out at 60 degrees with your middle and ring finger out. Um, and so your index and pinky are curled up. And it's kind of like doing the reverse Vulcan or, no, I don't even know. It's like the reverse Cornu, I guess. Um, which or segues really well into the R motors. If you're on any boxer, a flat twin, your arm is out at 90 degrees and your index and pinky fingers are extended basically in your standard cornu, which, you know, back in the day, if someone was unholy or unclean, you would throw the cornu at them. But for boxer riders, that means here's my two opposing cylinders on opposite sides of each other. So you do that with your fingers, apparently. And if you're on a K motor, anything from like the 1100s up to the 1600s now, 
Uh, and this includes the K1300S and R. So even like the naked, you know, naked sport bikes and stuff, you put your arms straight, slightly up, you know, pointing forward above the fairings. Uh, this this makes sense because except for the 1300 sport models, let me think before I make it ass of myself. I can't think of any other K's that were. I mean, I know they had a K1200 too, didn't they? In a GT. Okay, so I guess like any any of those models, they had the fairing and they had the mirrors on them. So you got to stick your hand up over the mirrors, and that's why it makes sense. And especially like on these. Uh, the GTLs and stuff, they got these big fairings. So, and the K1100 uh, LT or whatever the fuck it was, those big fairings on that. So that's why you got to stick your hand up. It's got to, it's got to clear everything so people can see you. So you stick your hand up over the mirror or fairing or whatever, uh, facing forward toward the oncoming rider. And you have four fingers um, sticking forward so that they know you're riding an inline four and i guess if you're riding the k1600 which is a six you stick six fingers forward and now that i think of it that kind of looks that kind of looks bad that's a well i don't know and if you're on a v-twin bmw uh i can't think of the last v-twin bmw had but it says lurk down whatever that means it might mean look down the the person I got it from was uh, was British, and uh, I think he was from uh, Coventry or something like that. So maybe that's how they say "lurk, lurk down, lurk down." I don't know, but yeah. So if you are on a BMW V twin, which I can't even think of what one that they make, lurk down, buddy. So that's that. Uh, here in LA, we have a very specific set of hand signals too. Uh, you do the karate chop like the tomahawk when you want someone to split lanes at 90 miles an hour rather than uh, 5 or 10 miles over the speed limit like the CHP recommends. You do the tomahawk. Um, you can do the thumb across the throat like I'm going to kill you if you don't get out of my way. And that's usually reserved for motorcyclists to cagers. So uh, that's sort of different. If you're riding through the San Fernando Valley, there are three specific ones that I can think of. One is you take your arm and you uh you put it out parallel uh you know put your elbow basically at shoulder height and your and your hand your arms parallel to the ground and you go back and forth kind of like a piston and that means uh we're driving we're riding by a porn studio basically and they are just like you know all over san fernando valley uh the 818 specifically and uh that's one another one is you got to let go of the bars to do this, but people do this in LA all the time. Uh, people do it in Florida as just how they ride, you know, kick on the cruise control, kick your feet up on the handlebars and lay back on your, uh, your touring tour pack or whatever. But in LA, you, uh, got to be riding your $8,000 CB 750 or your triumph or whatever sweet hipster bike you got. You stick your right hand up in a fist. You put your left hand up, around your uh, wrist, your right wrist, and then you pull your right hand down. And that means get your head out of your ass. And uh, what's the third one that's most prevalent around here is the, um, again, this is a two-hander. You are riding. You take your hands off the bars. 
and you stick your thumbs basically in your armpits and then you flap up and down. And that's saying you're a chicken if you don't eat shit on Mulholland Highway at least once in your life. So a lot of times you'll see guys flash the chicken at each other and then they'll go and then about 20 minutes later you hear some crashing up on the hill. So those are three that I've seen quite a bit around here. And the other one is uh, mean mugging. Don't uh, smile or be nice or even acknowledge anyone. This dude on a BMW R9T the other day was cruising around and he accidentally like kind of made eye contact with me. So I was like, oh, hey, what's up, dude? And I gave him a little nod. Oh, he looked away so fast because he knew he wasn't supposed to have even accidentally looked at me. When you're on an R9T, you look straightforward and the world owes you. You don't... You know, you don't take shit from anybody. If someone waves at you, you probably ride by and slap them. So uh, that's all I can think of for hand gestures in a nutshell. Um, And as far as waves and specific things like that, if there's any that are super specific to your country or your area or region or planet, please email the show, creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what they are. Uh, If you send a video in, I'll stick them up on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel. Um, So yeah, that's that's always in it for you. You can become an instant celebrity. Before I get on to the next segment, too, I might as well mention our social media outlets. They're blowing up like crazy, folks. Thank you so much for all the emails we've been getting. Our Tumblr is just... Uh, I don't know. We're getting five, six new people every day where it was, you know, that a month if we were lucky. So I really need to shout out to those guys. We post a lot of our show stuff over there as well. And SoundCloud, man, how many people have started following us on SoundCloud? It's quite outstanding. And uh, I was I was amazed the last time I looked over there. Just once in a while, I'll check the stats for listens and stuff like that to see where people are finding us because I see if I need to put our uh, list our, on, an, on another media or another source. And SoundCloud, man, a lot of people are coming straight from SoundCloud. So I don't get a chance to thank them on the Facebook page. And I don't get a chance to say thanks for subscribing to iTunes and all that stuff. Uh, they're right there at the the uh, source of the river. So, or should I say, shit creek? And you know, they don't have a paddle. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. Thank you for all those guys. Uh, thank you everybody who's contributed ideas for the show. And um, I don't know. Thanks. It almost feels like the end of the show, doesn't it? Oh, but I got three more hours to go. So don't fret. Oh my god, I haven't been pressing record this whole time. All right, segment three, our last segment of the show is going to be called handkerchiefs. And uh, how does handkerchiefs even relate to, I mean, it's kind of a stupid stretch, but what I was going to get at is the female rider. And in the past, to attract a male, the female would drop her handkerchief and the guy would go pick it up and, you know, I don't know, whatever. I've seen it in uh, a bunch of movies from uh, back when I was born in uh, 1737. Anyway, nowadays, the female dropping the handkerchief is a girl on a bike. And I kind of wanted to talk about women's brains and why I think women would be better riders than men. And also on the flip side of that, why they might not be. So let's just get into this handkerchiefs. Uh, All right, so... 
I went to a seminar a few months ago now about men and women, the differences in their brains, basically boys and girls and learning and things like that. Why guys learn the way they do and why guys act the way they do and why girls do the same. Now, I have to tell you, turns out, guys, we are pretty much idiots. And let me start at the beginning and relate this to motorcycles to you in this way. Okay, when we are born, uh, we all are female, basically, until uh, the chromosome comes in and tells the mother, hey, this is a X chromosome. This is going to be a dude, okay? You got an X and a Y here. And so what happens is they get a little shot of testosterone is released. It basically goes through and like reformats your body, reformats your whole being. So what used to be this beautiful female brain that is just two hemispheres of emotions and words gets totally reformatted. And that's why girls talk a lot more. They talk earlier than guys. They have usually a bigger vocabulary than guys uh, right off the bat. And they're able to express their feelings more verbally and ask for help and ask for directions. You know, that's something when guys get older, uh, they can't ask for help. They can't ask for directions. They can't do shit like that. Well, it's all because the male brain gets totally reformatted as soon as that uh, shot of testosterone takes over and starts, you know, developing you into a guy. So what happens is the male brain basically gets erased in what was, like I said, two hemispheres of like emotion and verbal skills and whatnot gets wiped out. And all that's left basically for our verbal is like this little tiny front. uh, They've pinpointed it down to the front left uh, quadrant, not even like the whole half of your front left brain, like a quarter, it's smaller than a quarter of your, of the uh, left side of your brain. That's what dudes have now for verbal skills. And that's why we suck at talking. We suck at saying what we mean because they don't, our emotions don't link up with our words anymore. And what's re- happened instead is that our right side of our brain has been reformatted to a spatial mechanical function. And that's why guys gravitate towards sports more than girls do. And that's why if you give uh, kids a doll to play with, they'll both play with the doll. I mean, guys will play with girl toys and girls will play with guy toys. And before I go any further, let me say that this isn't like a hundred percent of people. Okay. Like it's like the old one-fifth rule, okay? So you might know somebody that's an excellent speaker and yada, yada. You might know a girl that's a total tomboy and there's explanations for that, okay? I'm just saying the majority of people. So you give them a toy, they'll play with the toy, the same toy. It doesn't matter if it's a doll, it doesn't matter if it's a truck. But usually what happens is that the girls pick pick it up and interact with it usually in a way that uses a uh, place to their strengths, which is like talking to it, um, taking care of it, all that stuff. And a guy will play with it, but a guy, will, a little boy will throw, if it's a doll, then this is my example of a, it is a, a toy doll. A guy will throw it up in the air to see how it moves through space. Guy will rip its head off to see what's inside of it. Uh, so on and so forth. My kids, we have not raised them to be a specific way 
straight out of the box. That's exactly how they were. And that's why I went to this whole seminar to begin with is because my son is like the typical caveman kid and I need to know how to talk to him and figure him out. So more so than my daughter, who I just, I already know because I already know how women's brains work. They don't. So anyway, basically, uh, yeah, guy's brain is, is mechanical, spatial, and they're very good. Apparently, uh, they said that as part of evolution, guys evolved as the hunter-gatherer partially because, of their, I mean, as the hunter because of their brain. They, they sat around. They didn't talk much. They didn't scare the prey off. But then once it was time to catch the prey, they could use that spatial mechanical to, you know, be able to throw weapons, you know, beat an animal, whatnot, you know, just they gravitate more toward things moving through space and and. They're more visually um, acute, I guess, than than girls are. That's why guys get addicted to stuff like video games and pornography and stuff like that. Is because we're super visual, and that's why we always like to see posters of hot women on bikes. And ladies would rather uh, you take them somewhere and do something nice with them than you know, see a ripped dude on a bike with a shirt off. I think that's why I was thinking of this the other day. I'm so mad that like women are like super objectified in the motorcycle culture because I have a girl who's growing up and I think she's going to be more part of it than my son. Uh, On the flip side of that, I think that that's why women are objectified in the motorcycle culture is because more dudes gravitate toward it since it's like a spatial mechanical function and uh, chicks aren't into like ripped guys on bikes anyway. So you don't see a bunch of uh, dudes on bikes, hot fast date calendars. So what does this have to do with handkerchief? Well, nowadays uh, as women are becoming, uh, I think the majority, I think there's more women than men on the earth. Why wouldn't women, uh, more women be riding? And so nowadays, the handkerchief that they used to drop to get the guy's attention is a motorcycle. I've seen a lot more women racing lately. And this isn't just now. This is, I mean, this goes back to, let's say, this uh, 20th century and 21st century, okay? Because before that, uh, women were very much, and even in some cultures still today, Women very much have their place in society. But as far back as, you know, the turn of the century, 1900, not the turn of the century just a few years ago, women were starting to embrace uh, a new gender role. And so, yeah, so this this idea of, like, when you see a fast girl on a bike, it's exciting. And when you see a chick that's into bikes and stuff like that, it's exciting. And, uh you know, girls can see guys on bikes and that's just kind of has been the norm for a long time. So I think it's the new handkerchief. Like when a guy sees a girl doing something that he likes to do, it is, it's like dropping that little hanky and you want to, you want to get to know them. You want to see what they can do. Um, I have lots of girl, uh, friends that are riders that are like way better than me. Uh, one of my friends races flat track vintage motocross. She's a road racer, her and her boyfriend like do all that stuff together. It's, they are an amazing couple and I would like, you know, it'd be cool to go out and ride and learn something, uh, from a pretty badass chick. You know what I mean? So it's just this weird, it's a weird thing that made me think of how nowadays more and more and more I see girls riding 
and I see uh, shirts that say, you know, a woman on a motorcycle intimidates a guy, all this stuff. Uh, you know, they're kind of playing on the gender role stuff, which I don't really buy into too much. But as a society, you have to, you know what I mean? You have to think about, uh, I'm not the norm. I'm not normal, basically, <laughs> you know? So uh, I don't like to see chicks in calendars and uh, I don't play into the women intimidating you because they ride a motorcycle thing. So I guess I'm not, I'm not the norm, but at any rate, I think it's awesome. And I think that uh, getting more women into riding is um, pretty, pretty awesome. And getting back to the brain thing, this is what I really wanted to touch on this. Even though the women don't have a spatial mechanical brain like the guys do, I think that's what draws men to more sports in general, like throughout their life and throughout their, um, you know, as early as, you know, young child to an adult, they may want to play professional sports and whatnot. And I think it's because we're motivated by, you know, spatial mechanical activities. However, this uh, seminar that I went to showed a woman's brain. And a man's brain at full capacity was basically like a woman's brain at rest. So even though they don't have the spatial mechanical thing going on, dude, they are like working. They could be literally sleeping and their brain is going faster than your brain is, you know, when you're out there engaged. So I think that's probably what makes women such good writers. They pay attention, you know, they pay attention to a lot more stuff. And just in general as people, um, because their brain is always going, keeping little track and tab. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you should see a mother in action. She knows where like all the kids and the husband are usually if she's, you know, all the normal moms I know that, uh, function at, at a high level, um, I mean, that's the dad. I, I lost my kid in the store when he was like six feet away from me just because, uh, you know, I'm an idiot. So yeah, my my wife is like, keeps track of like 20 kids. You know what I mean? Like she, she knows what everybody's doing. It's amazing. And then she's still keeping like little tabs of things in her head that she needs to say later. She asked me to get something at the store and I can't remember six minutes later what she asked me to get. And it's just because guys don't retain stuff like that. We're engaged visually and whatnot. So, um, as far as women writers and physical ability and stuff like that, I think they have us beat mentally easily. And I think that's probably what makes women better riders. I think that they, um, there's a reason that insurance is usually cheaper for girls than boys because women make more informed choices. They tend to err on the side of caution, even when they're going full force with something like racing or like hardcore riding or street riding. Uh, I think they tend to crash a lot less because they don't do stupid shit like stand up on their seat backwards and take a phone video of like their 20 other friends doing wheelies behind them. Hey, you ever see a girl doing that in any of these YouTube videos? I I never have. It's always like idiot guys popping wheelies into the back of cop cars and shit that I see. So anyway, so the new hanky uh, before the show turns into like a five hour long sesh is the new hanky is girls riding bikes and that's how they're getting guys attentions they're saying hey i'm out here i'm just as badass as you are 
and I can be twice as good of a writer because I can make a grocery list, uh, make a mental hair appointment, and still pull you in this corner. So, all right, rant over. Let's move on to the very last thing for the show. Tonight's movie review. You didn't think I'd leave you hanging without a movie review, did you? Well, tonight's review is going to be of Hell's Angels on Wheels. Uh, the only people I remember from the movie is Jack Nicholson and Sonny Barger. That's right, it stars. Not only does it star the president of the like California Hell's Angels or whatever he was at the time, it stars actual Hell's Angels. I was uh, in the opening scenes, I thought, dude, these guys are going to get their asses kicked for wearing these cuts that look super authentic. And then it says right in the opening credits, Credits, uh, featuring the San Francisco, Oakland, Daly City, and some other. I you know I'm not familiar with the Bay Area that much, but uh, a couple of other chapters of the Hell's Angels really starred in this movie, and I have to say they didn't do too bad of a job of acting. However, the shittiest thing about this movie, and I. I could barely watch it because it was super spaghetti Western. There was like a reverb or something going on. The dialogue was barely audible, but the motorcycles and shit sound like they were being recorded by a Barbie echo microphone. And it just drove me nuts. You got all these bikes and all these fight scenes and the musics and everything. And it just sounds like it's being blown through an echo tube and I couldn't stand it. And I'm guessing it's another one of those movies where it sounds like they got all of the sound effects from a can somewhere in the studio. They did not actually record any, aside from the dialogue, is probably why it's not audible. Is because they recorded it on set and then like had to overdub all this other shit on top of it. So it just drowns it out. And yeah, it's terrible. The the That's the one thing. The audio quality just sucks. So... What was the other cool thing? Oh, you know, there's no nudity in this one, which this is the first biker film, uh, not the first one, but this one has freaking Hell's Angels in it, and uh, they're getting played by the man, and they get into some trouble. They cruise over to, to not Vegas. I think it was Laughlin or something. I don't know where the hell they went to, but they went to Nevada. And, you know, the actual fucking Hell's Angels are in this movie and there's no nudity. So it's just, it was kind of a weird, you know, paradoxical thing. Um, the bikes are cool. Watching the guys be total hooligans. And actually, you see part where this guy is pulling up next to a car and he grabs onto it and the girls take off and it turns his bars into the car. You can tell he's eating shit, but they, they cut scene uh, as he goes out of the camera shot. I'm sure he probably almost fell over um, or he did fall over. But yeah, they also like do a bunch of skids and wheelies on these, you know, these are decked out, uh, you know, pretty much chopper style bikes. Um, One of them had four exhaust pipes and I don't know what type of bike it was, but it was not a Harley obviously. So, but yeah, just the crazy customizations on these bikes is pretty cool. But I couldn't watch a biker movie and have it not be shitty, right? So I just have to say this one is pretty lame. I'm not sure if it was before or after Easy Rider. I'm thinking it was before because uh, Jack Nicholson probably got into Easy Rider from playing this role. Um, Sonny Barger is not the – I forget who plays the lead in this movie, but, you know, it's not Sonny Barger. But, yeah, they just – they start some trouble with some sailors. There's a bunch of random shit. It's almost like the other 
bike movies where they're, it's just following them around doing candid shit. There's a part where they find some sheep and they start hugging some sheep. So Jack Nicholson wants to fall for this chick, but she's just like a bad girl and she wants him to want her, but only you know for sex. She doesn't want him to love her. And it turns out at the end of the movie when Jack Nicholson um, has a kind of a run-in with the leader of the gang... Uh, he drives through a plate glass window to run Jack Nicholson down. He ends up crashing. The bike catches on fire, and it turns out the chick is pregnant with his baby. Spoiler alert! And also, I just left out about uh, nine-tenths of the movie because it's pretty pointless. The dialogue and all that shit, I mean, it's not. It's just another bike exploitation flick from the uh, 70s. So not really worth it. Left me feeling cold and unwanted at the end of the day. All right. Well, thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Uh, here's a list of people we need to say sorry to. Um, sorry to anybody that I mentioned on the show. I didn't really mention that much stuff this week, except for the news. But uh, we already know everything in the news is pretty much public record. So I don't think I really need to apologize to anybody this week, except for awesome Aussie Chris, Chris Dewhurst in Australia and Paul Smith in the Murrieta Valley area. You guys, thanks for being huge fans of the show. Uh, all right. Hope everybody has some good weekend. Get out there, go to an event, go ride, do whatever you're going to do. All right. Bye. Uh, but these new ki- new ways kit my all right a couple of blurbs oh shit whatever they do with cocaine to watch a motorcycle race bought a 13 dollar beer and a 7 dollar hot dog and I stuffed them in my face it was rotten and gross was it even meat Worse than old ladies' feet, might as well have eaten a monkey's butt. Eaten a monkey's butt, might as well have eaten a monkey's butt. Eaten a monkey's butt, might as well have eaten a monkey's butt. Eaten a monkey's butt, might as well have eaten a monkey's butt. Eaten a monkey's butt.